Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, delighted to be joined by Ben Wortham, the CEO of Message Lab. Ben, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Typical fashion of the show, Ben, is three, four, five minutes getting to understand who you are, and then we jump into all things around lessons learned, challenges, pivotal moments. So I don't know where you grew up. I can see that you went to uni in New York, but take me back to where you grew up and what life was like growing up where you grew up. Yes, I grew up in a suburb outside of Boston, a town called Newton, Massachusetts, which is about uh, a 10 minute train ride into the city. And, you know, it was the 80s, 1980s, (laughs) you know, USA, you know, kind of a a bit like Stranger Things only, you know, without the weird aliens and whatnot. Um, And, you know, and I went to high school in Boston. I went to college in New York, as you mentioned, and then, you know, got out of school and had this moment of, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with my life? I had a liberal arts degree and, um, you know, didn't, 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 didn't have a strong sense. Uh, I knew I liked to write and through hook or crook managed to get a job at a magazine uh, as a journalist and, you know, really moved on from there. Did you always want to be a writer? No, I actually discovered it through reading film criticism um, when I was in uh, college, mostly, you know, my, my freshman and uh, sophomore year in college, I, I liked film. Um, I didn't think that I wanted to go into Hollywood and become a filmmaker. Uh, and so, you know, for me, the most exciting thing was just like incredibly pretentious essays about film. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that's what I, you know, through that sort of 18, 19, 20 year old time period, just like aspired to do. Now, uh, having then gone on to become a, a magazine journalist and a newspaper journalist, um, my hope is that that has been beaten out, out of me by, you know, editors with rulers. But, um, but that's certainly where I got my initial inspiration into being a writer. And before we move on, what led you to choose liberal arts? Uh, not, not being interested in the sciences probably. Um, now, you know, I, I always, I did, I did like film. I did like history. Um, I liked, you know, and, and as, you know, my college career went on, I enjoyed reading more. It wasn't the sort of thing that I necessarily enjoyed in high school. Uh, but, you know, and then inquisitiveness, you know, not to say that there isn't a lot of inquiet inquisitiveness in, math or in science, uh, obviously there is, but, um, you know, what I, what I found turned out to be my core motivation was just curiosity and, you know, being able to ask people questions or being able to research questions in a book. Um, and that's something that still to this day is a driving motivation for me. So we're going to get onto message lab in a moment, but I'd like to rewind the clock. Um, before we talk about that, you spent over a decade, 13, 14 years between CIO magazine and Wall Street Journal. In the 
for the listeners in CIO magazine, you wrote featured stories. And then at the Wall Street Journal, you covered technology. I'm reading from some of my notes here. Yep. So my question is, in that, let's say, decade-long uh, part of your life, what skills or behaviors did you learn or improve during that time at those companies that you've carried with you to today in your current venture? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, for me, it, it was really figuring out what your role is as a communicator and as a storyteller. So for instance, in the world of journalism, you know, success or failure hinges on whether or not I can make you care about something. You know, can I, can I get you to read? And that's value. You know, you subscribe to a magazine, you buy a newspaper, you stay in an article if it's digital where there's an advertisement you might be seeing because, you know, the, the words on the page or these days, the experience that you're having is interesting, you know, and that's the currency. That's how you success That's how you succeed or fail. And, and, you know, and you get trained to do that. You know, you learn there's some trade craft in terms of the structure of an article, the structure of a story, uh, finding, finding a hook, finding an angle and so forth. But, but, but really, you know, what, what you have to do is you get trained to figure out, you know, what is, what are, what is a way, what is the method, what is the angle through which I can take an idea and make it, you know, interesting to someone. And like, no surprise, people respond to stories about people. You know, if you just have an idea and you're talking about something in a sort of hyper-intellectualized way, yes, you might communicate your point to some people, but many more people are going to want to hear about Ryan or Ben's sort of lived experience and, and a lesson told through somebody else's life journey. Um, puppies, people also like puppies. In a business setting, there's not as many opportunities to use puppies, but if you can, use puppies. Um, you know, and, and, then, and then to go out into to figure out how to actually get the story because it's one thing for you and I to have a conversation as you know as someone who's an interviewer you know sometimes you ask you know Ben Worthen a question and you get uh, uh, as an answer you know and sometimes you ask someone else the question and you get an amazing thoughtful answer and in what you know people always I'm sure everybody has had one point said like um, you know, what is your list of questions? What are the things that you're trying to get out of an interview? You know, one of the things that I learned is that, you know, great questions, you know, they're helpful, but what's really, really helpful is recognizing when you got a great answer. And if you didn't get a great answer, you know, being able to have a toolkit that allows you to ask the same question in a different way so that you can get that great answer. Because the way one person answers a question and provides information is different from the way someone else may provide information. And, and that information exists. It's just like you have to go out and figure out how to get it. And of course, getting that information is in the service of making a point and making that point and packaging it in a way that's gonna be really, really interesting to the person that you're trying to reach to your audience. I love the point you make where you can ask a question in a, in a different format. And it, it, it might land differently and therefore get the good answer that you're looking for. Post your time at both Wall Street Journal and CIO Magazine, you moved on to Sequoia Capital. You were right. head of content there. Um, and, and given the title, I assume you led a team. I, I, I know on your LinkedIn, it said that you advised portfolio companies on content and communication strategies, as well as some of the internal stuff you did with Sequoia as well. So, Assuming that you were leading a team or a group of people, what's a, what's a challenge that you came up against with either 
your team or when communicating with the portfolio clients that um, you would have come up against time and time and time again that you, when you left, you can look back on and say that you can smile. Like, I'll I'll give you an example here. So like learned helplessness is something my friend was talking to me about maybe two, three weeks ago when we were having a beer. And he said when he got the position as a manager in the company, a lot of reps were coming up to him and asking him, you know, uh, how do you do this or how do you do that or asking him questions and his natural response would usually be something along the lines of uh, what would you do if I wasn't here or go away and come back again in four hours time and you know like work and and, and we can sit down mm-hmm. together forcing them to kind of work on it to see what they would have come up with not always just providing the answer because you're never teaching anyone if you just provide them the answer so was there anything in your period of time over a year at Sequoia that in a leadership role, you can look back on and, and smile and say, you, you learned something there or you left a positive impact there. Yeah, I, I'm going to answer your question slightly differently, if that's okay. Sure. For me, when I look at that period in my career, the biggest thing was, and, and really something that has become formative for the rest of my career, was something I learned about how to apply what I knew from the world of journalism to the world of marketing. And I'll explain for a minute. Um, I, you know, when I was leaving journalism, I'd just been a journalist. I didn't know how to do anything else. You know, I could tell a story and I could do that really, really well. I had never actually heard the term content marketing at that point, which seems ridiculous, you know, sitting here in 2022, but this was like 2012, 2013. And it was still new. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, revolutionary or anything like that. Um, but I remember having you know, breakfast meeting with someone who was advising me and he explained to me what content marketing was. And I was like, oh, I understand. I think I could do that. But but what I learned when I got to Sequoia was that I was really strong on the content part. And I really knew nothing about the marketing part of it. And, and you know, and, and as a journalist, you know, I, I would be in, you know, people, marketing executives and CEOs of companies and PR people would, you know, parade in, especially when you're at the Wall Street Journal, which is a fairly, you know, top newspaper, you know, especially for business audiences. And they would come in and they would try to pitch me. You know, they would they would give me their best marketing spiel. And most of the time I would sit there and I would just think to myself, like, you know, nobody cares about this. As the person whose job it is, is to take what you are trying to say and figure out how I can package it up in a way that's interesting to my audience, you're making it really hard because, you know, you're talking about yourself. But the reality is, is that like, you know, most people have never heard of you. Most people aren't experiencing the problem that you're trying to solve, at least the way you're talking about it. I mean, like how many people in your life do you know who go off and buy like software? You know, <laughs> like, you know, not a lot of people. Now, a lot more people use software. You know, most of us these days in age do. But, but you know, if you're just talking about how good a deal your software is, like you're really, you know, you're, you're missing a lot of potential people. Um, what, I, what I didn't appreciate then was how much, rigor goes into, you know, positioning and messaging and crafting, you know, the way that a company is going to communicate. Um, you know, there's a lot of smart people working really hard and, and basing what they're saying on a lot of really good inputs. Um, I, now that said, so I didn't know how to do any of that, like, to be clear, no, I didn't have an appreciation for it. I didn't understand some of the organizational dynamics that you're bringing up, like how to get buy-in. You know, I didn't understand culturally how hard it can be to shift a conversation, especially one that's been taking place in a certain way for a really long time at a big company. Um, and 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 so I had to learn all of that stuff. Um, and 
and I had to, at the same time, the thing that I was fairly committed to from the get-go was not losing the parts about journalism that I thought were really, really valuable. Communicating in a way that, um, you know, that, that is designed to first and foremost, be interesting to the people that you're trying to reach. You know, that, like, how do you make the message, you know, the, the marketing lingo, if you will, subservient to the thing that you care about, to the thing that I care about, to the thing that the, you know, your, your reader, your audience cares about, but, but do so in a way where you are still achieving all of the things that were on, you know, that slide deck somewhere where the strategic objectives were, were laid out. Um, and, and, and so my year at Sequoia, and I was only there for a little bit over a year, you know, uh, you know, really sort of gave me an opportunity to think hard about how do you merge those two things together? How do you do so in a way that still achieves what the organization, the company is trying to achieve, but does so in a way that puts the audience first? You know, that that is that is um, that makes it so they don't feel like they are being marketed to, but that they are being brought along to some sort of you know journey that they want to go on, as opposed to the one that they have to sit through while they wait for the game to come back on. You are now the CEO of Message Lab. Rather than me give the 30-second commercial, you're the CEO. <laughs> you do a much better job at it. So the mic is yours. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this notion of what I was just talking about, how do you tell a story in a way that's engaging to people is kind of what we do. Now, it, it goes a bit deeper than that. We we apply, you know, journalism techniques to make a journalistic product, meaning the thing that you would see that we make, you know, with an article, a podcast, a video, the thing that to you it's going to find you or you're going to find it and you're going to want to pay attention to it because it's interesting to you. You know, it's a story about a person. It's a story about an idea. It's about, it's a story about something that it doesn't feel like marketing. Now, um, what, what message lab is trying to do is, is, is not just, you know, have that, you know, run your message through the filter of what it is that people are going to care about, but, but to do so in a way that's smart and that gets results. So um, how do we make sure that it reaches the person that you're trying to reach, you know, and and how do we make sure that the person you, that 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 person, whether they're finding it in search, whether they're finding it on social, whether it's being dropped in their inbox, you know, but what is the work that we can do to take this content and and get it in front of people and get people to the place that you want to go? Um, where does it fit in a user journey? You know, what are the next things that we want people to do? Uh, we don't happen to believe that it's realistic to give someone a really cool story and then expect them to click buy now. You know, usually what we find is that it takes, you know, a handful of ideas. We use a metaphor of an idea store. You want to, um, you know, everybody has a good sense of what their product store is. You know, that's the stuff that you make and you sell to people. And you, you know, and even if it's a website, you, you know what the virtual shelves look like and you know the kind of experience that you're trying to create for your customers. But, but what if you had a store next door that was an idea store? And the, short, and the shelves were stocked with your ideas, the things you care about, the thing your audience cares about, and the sort of the, the thoughts that you want to put out into the world. Um, you know, what would that look like? You know, what are, what are the things that we would make that belong in that idea store? And then what we try to do is make people repeat customers of your ideas. Let's get them to come back, you know, to that idea store over and over and over again. And eventually they're going to walk and they're going to see that door that says like, oh, there's a whole nother product store next door. I'm going to go check that out, you know? And, um, but we want them to do it at an appropriate time. And what we see through data and what we just know for us intuitively is that it's those people who become repeat customers of your ideas that are more likely to become customers of your products. Uh, and, and then the last thing that we try to do is we try to take a really data forward approach where, you know, this, this, 
I, I happen to believe that if you give people things that they care about, you know, you're going to, you know, there's, there's like, there's times where people want to buy something, you know, and, and when you want to buy something, getting information about a product is great. It's going to help make your decision-making process, you know, but, you know, I, I personally, I want to buy something like 5% of the time, you know, 95% of the time I want to be entertained. I want to be informed. I just want to, you know, spend time with something that I'm interested in. And, and if all you're doing is putting product stuff out into the world, you're missing 95% of the opportunities to have a relationship, have a meaningful interaction with someone who you might be trying to reach. And that same person, you know, might later on be someone who responds to your product, but if they're not in there, you know, they, they might be that target customer, you know, you could have a slide that says like, here's who we're trying to reach, bam, we found them. But like, if they're not thinking about a product, you know, if they're not in product world and upon product brain, you know, they're not going to pay attention. They're not going to click, you know, this is why banner ads have like, you know, a negligible click-through rate, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if you give them content, something that's meant to inform them, you know, then, 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 you know, you have a chance to have that interaction and to begin to build a relationship with them. The, the last thing we do, and I realize I'm giving you a very long-winded answer no, here, no. you asked to ask for a short one, um, no. you know, because, because the world of modern marketing is so measurable, you know, you can do those, you know, banner ads advertising your product. You can target people in Facebook saying 10% off, you know, and then you can pull a report that says, hey, you know what? We spent a million dollars on Facebook ads offering a 10% off coupon and it generated $2 million in revenue. Um, you know, like oh, that's a math problem, you know? Whereas traditionally, if you make content, you're like, we made, a, we made something that we thought was really cool and a bunch of people saw it and we all felt really good. And that's not like, you, you know, if you're going into the boardroom and it's like, you know, your warm fuzzies versus the hard data, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, where's, where's the budget going to go, right? So, uh, you know, we believe that, that, you know, again, people who are, have repeat engage, engagements with your content, your ideas are more likely over time going to become customers or better customers. Uh, what we try really hard to do is show that with data, to build a connective tissue with analytics, to see what content you know, is getting people to come back. What content is getting people to take that next step in a user journey and so forth. So that when, you know, these Facebook people come in and say, you know, $1 million in spending $2 million in revenue, we can come in and say, um, you know, 15% of your qualified leads had previously engaged with a piece of our content. You know, the, the people who have seen three or more, 10% uh, of those people, you know, went on to become qualified leads. Um, you know, you know it, it basically, you know, and those people converted at 4X the rate of people who hadn't seen content. You know, like, like, you know, if you can come in and have that kind of conversation, all of a sudden, you know, you're speaking the same language as those people who are just doing the product stuff, even though, the content itself isn't about the product. You're doing something else. And it's fair to say you've worked with a lot of admired logos or companies. That anyone take a quick look at your website can see that some of the clients you've worked with, ServiceNow, Facebook, Airbnb, Forbes, VMware. Um, is there a campaign that you're proud of that you can talk about on the podcast? And, and, I, and I ask that because when I was looking at your website, I can see that you've helped GoDaddy get the word out about the economic impact of 15 million commercial websites it hosts in the US and then mm -hmm. helped the likes of Airbnb engage and recruit more hosts. 
So is there a, I suppose that part, the last part was kind of rejog your memory, but is there a campaign or something that you've... Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a couple of different examples. Uh, so GoDaddy, you mentioned a second ago, and this is just, I think, a fun little example of how, um, you know, a journalist or someone who's trained as a journalist, and, and, I, and I don't want to be precious about journalism. I don't think that there's anything necessarily special about it. It's just that you've been trained to behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we did this. So, so GoDaddy has this really interesting, pretty rigorous set of data that they've created. What, what they've tried to show is, um, you know, people with websites, you know, and these are like the people who sell candles that they make in their, you know, at, at home, right? Or, or, or what is the economic impact of the local store on Main Street adding an e-commerce functionality so that they don't just sell to the people in the surrounding neighborhood, but they could sell to somebody, you know, ac across the country, for instance. And, and what they found is that the more of these, you know, online micro businesses that there are, um, you know, it has a lot of, it adds to the economic vitality of the community, right? The household median income goes up for everybody um, every single time that these, these businesses are there. And, and, if, and if you think about it, it sort of, it makes intuitive sense, right? You know, you're creating jobs for a broad range of people, uh, you're, you're expanding the commerce opportunities and so forth, um, but, but the data that they have is really compelling. Now, um, Data is data, and I think one of the things that we find is that people, especially professionals, really respond well to data. But this thing we were talking about before, the journalism toolkit, is like, yeah, but tell me how the data, like, tell me how it affects real people. And 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 so we followed the data, and we found that there's this, like, you know, there's this, like, you would think, like, where are there going to be a lot of online business? San Francisco, right? Uh, places like that. Um, it turns out one of the towns with the highest concentration of these online businesses is Fairfield. Iowa. Um, good luck finding it on a map. It's got yeah. 10,000 people. <laughs> you know, it's just this tiny little uh, town in, in Iowa. And, and so we did what a journalist does, which is like we went and talked to the people in Fairfield. And what we found was, you know, this is a place that had this entrepreneurial culture because the, um, the yogi who had taught the Beatles how to meditate moved there in the 1970s. And um, in all of these businesses had popped up and especially over COVID because of this entrepreneurial time, people were very fast to adapt to, to selling business, to selling things online. And among these one guy we found who has this patented method for horse massage. And in, in the early days of COVID, he had to figure out how do you massage a horse online, right? And um, so we had this great human driven story about, you know, the guy doing online horse massage, you know, the guy who started selling sourdough, you know, online, um, the local artists, you know, and, um, and, and, and it was, a, and it just, you know, it's one of those stories from a storytelling standpoint that I'm really proud of, because, you know, it just shows that, like, you know, if you're just in a conference room, uh, thinking about how do we tell the story, you don't pick up the phone, or go get on a plane and talk to the people in Fairfield, Iowa. But it turns out their stories and their lived experiences are the things that are gonna be most engaging to people like online horse massage, the Beatles, you know, you kind of have it all, right? Um, but that was there. That's just the story that, you know, we had to uncover. Um, you know, another example, slightly different that I'll give you is some of the work that we've done with ServiceNow. Uh, for the last four years, we've run an online publication called Workflow. And, you know, ServiceNow makes software that um, helps people sort of automate a lot of what used to be manual processes. And so the idea is that rather than have to spend your time pushing paper, you can spend your time doing some, 
you know, more impactful thinking work, right? Um, and and what we did was, you know, they they traditionally sold their software to the people who go ahead and implement it, but they wanted to reach a higher level audience, you know, the the C suite, you know, um, and you know, and 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 anybody who's been in B two B sales knows that, like, when you reach a certain level of executive, they don't care about speeds and feeds; they just want to know what is going to be the impact of my business. And so, this publication is all about. Um, you know, how technology advances are going to change the way, like culture of business, you know, the way you run a team, um, you know, the strategic thinking that you can do to propel your business. Um, the, the site itself, though, is really a laboratory for a lot of these things that we believe. So we have a lot of analytics on the site that are customized in order to measure engagement with content. Um, we have uh, it's not like there's none of the creepy stuff, right? This is all sort of anonymous, um, but we're still seeing what ideas resonate with people. We can use the site to do a lot of message testing where we're pretty rigorous about, again, to get geeky, codifying what different things are about um, and being to figure out like, okay, you know, are people more interested in stories that are about, um, you know, a different part of technology, like the technology side of, of business transformation? Are they interested in the employee experience? Are they interested in stories about how they can better engage with customers? And we do a lot of testing about that in addition to figuring out which audiences are most interested in which messages, you know, and that's all stuff that we can do by being very purposeful about the content that we create, right? Every single piece of content is basically treated as an experiment. Um, we treat the template um, as something where we're constantly testing to try to figure out how we can make the layout, the experience of consuming the content more engaging. You know, like there's this attitude in web development. It's a little outdated, but it's still around that like you design a template and it's done. You know, and I think our approach is that like, no, you're constantly testing everything. You know, should you have an image above the headline or below a headline? Does it matter whether it's serif font or sans serif font? You know, what if we have this CTA to sign up for email in the middle versus a pop-up? You know, all of these things are testable and all of them are going to contribute to whether somebody has a good experience or a bad experience or whether they spend more time with your content or less time with your content. So, you know, those are all things that we're trying to do on this program. Um, it's just been hugely successful, you know? Um, it's been going for four years. We've we've probably, you know, published a thousand stories in partnership uh, with ServiceNow, um, you know, at, at this point. And, you know, and, you know, I don't even, I can't even tell you the, the, the vast number of people who've come in and not just seen a page, like had a page view, but who we know because of what we're measuring spent like a meaningful amount of time, you know, reading. Um, so, and, and, and then also how many of those went on to have a more business as opposed to a content interaction and engagement with ServiceNow. When you... And what I'll do is I'll leave links to about your LinkedIn and your company site, wherever people are watching or listening to this, if they want to learn more. But we're, we're coming up near the end. I've got two final questions for you. When you look at your, the year ahead and continuing to grow the company, what are some of the ways or strategies or growth strategies that you're focused on to continue to grow? And when I say that, you know, previous guests have touched on popular answers would be, uh, landing in new territories, partnerships, uh, adding more bodies to the team, uh, getting a bigger piece of the pie within current accounts. So like upselling mm -hmm. or, or, or cross selling for you, what are you focused on to continue to grow the message lab in 2022? Yeah. I mean, I think we've been really lucky in that um, just within our existing client base, there's people who want to keep doing work with us. Um, and so, you know, for us, 
you know, I think I think we are going to grow just as a result of continuing to do more work with our current clients. And then I would ask, you know, to just to sort of give an answer that's sort of potentially, you know, useful to somebody, you know, in terms of growth, you know, for us, it's really about two things. One, um, you know, we're, we're really combining, um, you know, journalism, you know, the reporting aspect of journalism, design, I guess one answer is that over the last year, we've really invested heavily in our design um, capabilities. And so doing more sort of experience led and design led still journalistic, um, you know, types of uh, types of projects is, is one of the areas where we need to speak growth. And then also on that analytics and, you know, audience building side of things. And, and to be perfectly honest, you know, there's so many ways that we can combine those three those three different teams that are, you know, that haven't been done before for the most part. And, you know, and, 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 and the thing that's hard sometimes is reining ourselves in, you know, and, and, and trying to, trying to figure out, okay, what is the, you know, like, what is the, you know, what are we going to focus on? And so like, for instance, this year, one of the things we're focusing on is finding clients who do a lot of content and just helping them figure out how to make it more effective. You know, we've watched, how we've used data to look at how millions of people engage with content online. And, and we have a team of people who are experts at creating content, designing content. And, you know, and, and we just know a lot about, um, you know, for instance, you know, the placement of subheads, you know, can make a huge difference. You know, the, the URL structures you choose can make a big difference. Like, you know, there's just like some mechanic stuff. And so can we bring people from, can we just go in and say like, great, you know, don't have us make your content, just hire us and we'll tell you how to take the stuff that you have and get a lot more benefits out of it, you know? And then and then the other thing is that we're just trying to maintain our sort of deep connected connections to the world of journalism and just figure out what are the emerging trends there in the world of journalism that, that, are, that are either engaging people or being utilized to drive traffic to, to publishing sites and can we figure out how adapt how to adapt that uh, for our clients as well? Final question for you, Ben. If you were in charge of adding a mandatory subject to the um, high school curriculum, uh, I'm not too sure what age that is in the states, but let's say like between twelve to sixteen, what subject would you add and why? Oh boy. Um, yeah. So I guess I guess take this uh, straight out of the school board campaign or right into it, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I would say um, as, as much as I want to say journalism and training people to write well and ask questions well and all of that, I would I might actually say something around data or data analytics or even data visualization. You know, mm -hmm. are there, you know, in, in many ways, for me at least, the you know, they're, they're kind of similar in a weird way where in the case of journalism, you know, you are driven by questions and you're trying to find an answer to something by digging and digging and digging. Mm -hmm. um, analytics is oftentimes the same way. You know, we make a distinction between data that you might see in a dashboard and analysis and insights, which come from a human looking at the data and trying to ask questions. Um, and, and I think both are, you know, incredibly valuable skills to have, um, but I kind of suspect moving forward, the ability for you know a young person getting out of high school to be familiar with looking at data and being able to try to figure out how do I figure out what's happening? How do I craft data into some sort of story? And I don't mean like a piece of journalism, but I mean 
an argument, structure an argument based on data? And then how do I, how do I frame it in a way that's going to be compelling to people and persuasive to people? Ben, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast. I've enjoyed the last 30, 35 minutes with you. But for now, thanks again for being my guest and I wish you continued success. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Beautiful morning. Get a sun in my morning,